What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 199 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Uva Dreisigaka. He is the founder of InvoiceBerry.com. This episode is packed full of entrepreneurship stories, investment stories, and stories about family and how a digital nomad moves around the world with his family. Uva drops so many cool bits of wisdom and knowledge on us, and there's one that just really stuck out with me throughout the episode that I still carry with me to this day, which is as an entrepreneur, as just a good human being on this planet Earth, it's better to create than consume. And for me, that just really dug deep into my soul and pulled out a lot of thoughts and feelings I have about my entrepreneurial journey and my thoughts about just being a productive, good human on this Earth, especially in times like now with so much uncertainty in the world, whether it's economically, politically, it's really a time to really, I feel like, embrace that statement and work on just creating more beauty in this world, more positivity, more productive, useful things than just consuming, 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 which I definitely at times am at fault of doing. So like I said, Uva just came on, talked in depth about his entrepreneurial journey, his family, a little bit about his blog, a lot about investing, and just really wrapped it all together in so many beautiful thought experiments and just ways of thinking in general. I have no doubt that you're really going to like it. Now, if you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to this on. If you like this episode, Uva and I really would appreciate if you shared it with somebody you think will benefit from this. Maybe somebody who needs this type of service, which is invoicing, or just somebody who needs that little bit of inspiration and might be able to connect with a story like his. If you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in two ways. You can head on over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects, and you can give a monthly donation. Big shout out and thank you to all those who have already done that. If you'd rather just buy a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, which is a huge helpful way of not only supporting Misfits and Rejects, but spreading the Misfits and Rejects message by wearing a garment with, with the Misfits and Rejects logo printed on it, you can do that as well. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick one up. And one final thing I'd like to note before we start the episode, I'm transitioning a lot of Misfits and Rejects content onto YouTube and trying to develop a more visual aesthetic for you. So if you want to head over to Misfits and Rejects on YouTube, you can just type in Misfits and Rejects and you can kind of see what I've been doing. And I think it'll be fun for you to watch what it becomes because I have a vision that I'm really excited about. I don't know if I'll be able to bring it to fruition, but you'll be able to hear what that is in episode 200, which is coming next week. And my special guest who actually interviews me is my father. So stay tuned for that. I won't go into any more detail than that, but YouTube is going to, I think, be a big part of Misfits and Rejects' future. You get to hear more in depth about my thoughts on that in episode 200, where my father, Bob Cruder, comes on, interviews me. And for those of you who've been following me for the last few years, he came on as episode 100 when we sat in Germany overlooking the Bavarian countryside. It was a really beautiful episode I got to share with my father. I was stoked to bring him on and introduce you all to him. Well, now he's going to interview me. So enough said about that. Please sit back, enjoy this episode with Uva Dreisigaka and the beautiful way he's designed his life. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. Right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Uva Dreisikaka from invoiceberry.com. Uva, welcome to the show. Hi, Chip, and thanks a lot for inviting me for the show. Yeah, man, it's nice to have you. It is getting late where you are. You're in, what, Valencia, Spain right now? Yes, right. It's quite late right now here. <laughs> Uh, but you're German. You're originally from Germany? Yes, exactly. Just south of Frankfurt. Okay, nice. Um, how long have you been living in Spain? In Spain since August uh, of 2019. We came here when my wife was heavily pregnant with our second kid and with the aim of you know giving birth here. And then uh, we stayed probably for another one or two years. That's interesting. It sounds like you had the goal of having your child be born there was that for like uh passport purposes uh not for passport purposes um it, it has sort of two stories the one is my daughter was born in lithuania where we live um at that time and we didn't like what happened in the best hospital of the country 
to my wife and my kid. Uh, so we start off with shopping around, um, <laughs> which is sort of a digital nomad issue, I guess, uh, that you have this flexibility. <laughs> and the other thing was uh, we, we just, you know, with a young kid, you just want to be able to go out. And Lithuania is famously cold in winter with, you know, temperatures going below 20 degrees Celsius um, in some days. So we, we just wanted to, you know, be right at the beach. So I'm just literally looking at the Mediterranean Sea right now as we're speaking. And every day I can go out with my newborn son in the carrier. You know, he has a snap. I have my exercise. And that's the main reason, I guess. No, that's super cool. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I have interviewed a few people in the past who have sought out uh, various places that you know medical tourism is abundant and people can find lower cost high quality medical services you know especially people who are having children in america for example it's really really expensive um and so in central america for example there's great hospitals however you know sometimes like you just mentioned the best hospital in the country is still not that good so it sounds like you know the lithuanian hospital and experience you had wasn't as good as you'd hoped, even though it's the best hospital in the country. And then you sought out one in Spain. Can you talk a little bit more about that process? Because I think there's audience members who have families or want to start families who are intrigued by this model of going someplace to have their child for, you know, more cost effective experience. What kind of stuff were you looking for when you started seeking out a new hospital um, after the Lithuanian experience? Sure. Um, to be perfectly clear, um, Lithuania as well, you know, has these other disadvantages of the cold winter, but um, definitely, you know, a big part was the hospital. And I think two years ago, when we tried to escape the Lithuanian winter, we ended up in Valencia, Spain for the first time, just with our daughter back then. And we quite liked it. So we had it on our map already. So it wasn't like a big search. Oh, how is the hospital situation in Canada? How, it, how is it in Thailand? And so on. It was more like we like Valencia, you know, it makes sense uh, money wise and uh, temperature wise and there's a beach and so on. It has a very good infrastructure for kids. It's probably the most family friendly city in Spain and the third largest city in Spain. So there's infrastructure. And then there are a few hospitals here and it's a major private hospital. It's a brand new build. It's probably five years old. I know it looks like super modern. Um, so don't, you know, quote me on that exact number when it was built. And, you know, we, we, we just got a relocation agent, uh, which I can really recommend to anyone moving with a family. It just took so much hassle, you know, out of the whole process of moving countries with a pregnant wife, with a two-year-old kid back then, with, you know, me being busy and, you know, I had a bunch of flights, a bunch of business things happening. And she actually helped us to sort out our house and as well to help with the hospital. And we got private insurance in Spain, which I can really recommend. You end up with around 50 euros per family member. And the funniest thing for us was that even so my wife was seven months pregnant when we signed the contract, they covered every appointment at the doctor and accidentally, they even covered the process of giving birth, the labor process. They covered it, which they weren't supposed to cover because my wife was already you know, heavily pregnant as we signed the contracts. So this was the cheapest private hospital birth I've ever heard of. <laughs> um, <laughs> how, much, how much would it have been if they hadn't have made that clerical error? So every... So, so the clerical error, I, I guess, would have been four and a half to five thousand euros, which we, you know, were to pay the hospital. On top of that, every single appointment should have been between one and two hundred euros of, you know, seeing a doctor, getting blood work done, and so on. And this, you know, to to our like astonishment, was covered by the insurance, and they were completely fine with it. We then negotiated some discounts for the labor process, and I don't know they just forgot to send us a bill. I guess that's so interesting. That's really cool, and, and congratulations on having your second child. There, it sounds um, like you're creating a nice family. Do you have plans to have more children? I guess so. Yeah, 
um, it would be perfect, you know, knowing the really high quality hospital care here, at least, you know, pre-COVID-19 and knowing, you know, the prices of the private health insurance industry that's just so low. We, we're sort of tinkering with the idea of having the third child and only after that moving to the next country. Because, you know, that would be sort of the period when we want to move on to another country, either back to Lithuania, maybe back to the UK, maybe somewhere else in the world. But because the experience was so good here um, with, you know, the childbirth, that we're thinking we might stick around until, you know, number three is coming. This is really cool. I'm glad we touched upon this part of your life because um, I think there's a lot of families listening or individual family members listening who secretly desire to have this kind of lifestyle that you have. I mean, it sounds like you move around with your family, which doesn't stress you out too much. Obviously, you stay in one place for multiple years, but the fact that you're thinking about moving again, can you talk about that experience for you and your family and what it's like? I mean, you talked about hiring a relocation agent, which I would imagine helps tremendously, as you said, um, but the process, you know, with, with two little kids, possibly a third coming, like, what's that like? Sure. Um, it's interesting. So <laughs> just to draw a little comparison, first, the first time I moved to the UK was in September 2007. I thought about studying in the UK a month prior to that. I applied to any university that would take me at that point. And I just moved. And on a Monday morning, my mom came into my room and said, you're having your flight to move to the UK in a few hours. Why haven't you packed your suitcase yet? And on that Monday morning, I packed two suitcases, um, you know, to move to another country. Now, as I moved within London, you know, every six to 12 months to another district to, you know, another apartment, um, just, you know, to explore the city, I used to always have two, maybe three suitcases. As soon as I met my wife, back then my girlfriend, and, you know, this sort of like doubled, let's say, you know, she had her two suitcases, I had my two suitcases. When we decided to move to Germany together, we already had eight suitcases. Then when we decided to move from Germany to Lithuania, we had a small minivan with 30 to 40 boxes. And then when we decided to move to uh, Spain, we had furniture. We, we had like a big truck with furniture. We brought our car. And, you know, like it, it, it's just like adds up, you know, with all the baby things, with all the toddler things. Um, it, it's just a very interesting, you know, when I reflect on my life, how at every stage, it, it didn't just double or it didn't just, you know, increase a bit because of, a new family member, but it just exponentially grew. It sounds like it. So then how would you handle, cause it sounds like you're open to the possibility of moving outside of Europe um, or Eastern Europe as well. Like would you ever consider moving to Thailand? I know you spent four months there with your family, like, and just give it, give it like a two year go. Kind of like, it sounds like you do every few years. I guess w what I would do next time, because when we moved to Spain, we um, settled like, we, we sort of settled a bit more for the long term in, in terms of not even for the long term, but we, we sort of had to furnish the entire house we rented. So that added like a lot of costs that we previously never had because we just, you know, rented uh, furnished apartments. And so I didn't really think about it. And financially, it probably wasn't the smartest idea, but I think as the family grows, you have to care a bit less about finances to make everyone happy. Because, you know, your kid's only going to be once two years old, three years old. Your kid only once, you know, learns to ride the bicycle. So because of that, you can't delay certain things. And you just have to say, look, I'm going to buy this furniture. And most likely, I just have to throw it away, give it away for free, maybe sell it for, I don't know, 20 cents on the dollar. Um, but you know, you just have to make certain decisions there. So if we were to move outside of Europe, I guess we wouldn't transport all our things, at least not the big heavy things. We would just, you know, sell them or give them away, which is just, you know, a financial cost. You, you just, you, you have to live with that cost, I guess. 
Yeah, no, of course. And, you know, having you on the show is always exciting because you've done such a good job of creating viable businesses, which I'd like to kind of get into now, which is helping you sustain this lifestyle and kind of absorb some of those costs if you choose to just leave everything behind and move to Thailand or wherever you choose to go next. So, I mean, Invoice Barry, as we talked pre-show, you've been doing now, what, like seven or eight years? Uh, 10 years by now. 10 years. Can you please explain to the audience what Invoice Barry is? Sure. Invoiceberry is an online invoicing software, also called SaaS, for small business owners to create, send, and manage their invoices online. So rather than using invoice templates or you know using some old-fashioned software you install on your Windows machine, uh, we're completely online-based. You get your login, you create your invoice, you send it out as a PDF to your customer. And you don't have to worry about anything like updates, backups, and so like. That's interesting. Why did you choose this to make a business around? Was it like a skill set you had, like you were really good at invoicing, or was this like a, a niche in the market you saw that needed filling? Like, why did you choose to build a, a company around invoicing? I have to go a tiny bit back in history with that. I started my first websites around 13, 14 years, and my first serious one, which was an online game, at 15 years. And I sold 50% of it and had a business partner overnight. And he grew it, and we made a ton of money. But I never had a company, so it was running through his company, but I sort of owned 50% of the game, or the games, because we developed quite a bunch of games at some point. And... He always just sent me 50% of our profits every month. And at some point, his accountant, and I always chose older business partners to learn. So at the beginning, I, had a, I was working with a student who was just finishing his studies. Um, he already had a few companies under his belt, and I was still in school. You know, there was like a 10-year difference. Later on, I had a 20-year-old uh, older guy. Just again, you know, he had a lot of companies. He, he had a second marriage. He had a few bankruptcies. He just had lived his life, you know, <laughs> rather than, you know, some kid who's like 17, 18 years old. So anyway, coming back to the story, um, they kept on sending me just money. And at some point, the accountant must have said, look, you give like tens of thousands of euros some months to some bank account. Like, you know, we need an invoice for that. And this was sort of when I was, I think, 16 years old, my first experience with invoices, where my business partner would send me an email, hey, you know, you need to give me invoices. So I found, you know, on Google or on some of the, you know, search engines back then, I found an invoice template and I just used that. And I did that for like a year or two and I didn't think about the tax man. And after a year, my parents' accountant, uh, who, you know, sort of liked me a lot because he was amazed that, you know, I'm such a young kid in rural Germany and I'm successful in the big, wide, you know, worldwide web. And and he said, yeah, so can you give me the invoices of last year so we can, you know, do your profit loss accounts, do your balance sheet. Uh, by, by that time, I, I was sort of a freelance or sole trader in Germany. And I said, like, oh, I changed my laptop three months ago, so I can only give you the last three months of invoices. So all of that was prior to Dropbox or, you know, any of those things that would have saved my life. So that was hard work to actually, you know, then, you know, talk to the business partners. And I split with one business partner and I had to ask him, hey, can you actually resend me the invoice that I've sent you uh, nine months ago? And so it was always in the back of my head. Um, so fast forward a few years, I moved to the UK. I still was running my games probably like an hour a month or so. I was working on them. I was just studying, taking life easy. And, you know, it, it came to my graduation ceremony. And I'm like, okay, what to do next? Uh, I, I need to do something proper. You know, I can't just, you know, have some games here. The games are slowly dying because I don't invest too much time into it. And I thought about software as a service. I read a, a book by Jason Fried and DHH from Basecamp. I think it's called Getting Real. And I really like the book. And I like the idea of software as a service, of 
basically taking a piece of software like an invoicing software and making it way much simpler, just taking the 5% of most important functions and getting rid of everything else because nobody understands accounting, like no businessman, no you know, solopreneur, no freelancer. But you know, sending an invoice, keeping track of a few expenses, that's okay. So this is how I came up, you know, sort of scratching my own itch, but also, you know, understanding that um, like this is something that people need because the majority of people don't like numbers or they don't like, you know, like complicated accounting. They want to give it to someone else. But for the day to day running of your business, you just need to know your numbers. You need to be able to send an invoice and not wait for your accountant to deal with that for you. Absolutely. This is so cool. I love hearing these types of stories. So when you did start Invoice Barry, did you bring on a partner or did you just do it solo? I, I did completely solo. Um, for a short time, my wife worked with me on the company because sort of like the company is 10 years old, but I haven't worked for 10 years. So I try out a lot of things. Some people stick, some don't stick. And um, this was just something I started I actually went on a trip with my wife. I think we went to New York. And one day I got a notification that says an issue on my servers. And they all crashed because overnight our traffic spiked and it 10x. For whatever reason, Google liked our SEO, even so we didn't really back then invest into SEO. And it just exploded and it crashed. And I was like, okay, cool. Actually, I should pay some more attention on this project. And, you know, this is how it sort of started. But then I went on and off with um, working on it. I had like a few other startups. We got some stuff funded, some stuff got sold. And in that time, my wife was actually working on the company. And now I'm back sort of the head of it. While my wife obviously, you know, has like more important things to do with the kids, uh, which is a way much more <laughs> difficult job, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, hats off to your to your wife for the hard work she puts in with the kids and the family. Is this the primary source of income for the family, or do you have other companies that also fund as much of your lifestyle? It is it is a primary, I guess. Um, last year, I started again to invest in. No, actually, sorry, two thousand eighteen. I started again to be active in the stock market, and I got quite lucky i'd say um so also a big chunk actually of our income in the last two years has has been from the stock market but still yeah like invoice berry is the primary source that's cool can i ask do you mind me asking what what medium do you in, like to invest in are you like stocks bonds crypto i uh, yeah, stocks yeah so, so I, I i started my journey into stock market when i turned 18 with penny stocks in the u.s and I think at the time there was Hurricane Katrina. Just before that, I doubled a 7,000 euro investment to around 14,000. And I was super happy um, because, I mean, you know, just no programming, no marketing, just, you know, buying and selling some random numbers and penny stocks in the US. And within a few weeks, you double your money. Sounds great. And then I went all in on some building constructions after Hurricane Katrina and it all crashed. And I just closed the screen of my stockbroking account and I haven't opened it for 10 years. And or for over 10 years, even to be honest, for like 15 years. And then I two years ago, I thought, look, like I need to go back at it. You know, like I, I actually like numbers. I like these things. And I opened the account and funnily enough, that 10 or 20,000 stocks in this penny stock are still in my stockbroker account. The company is bankrupt and you have to email my stockbroker in order to get it removed. But as sort of like a little graveyard in my account, I leave it there just to always be reminded. I put 15,000 euros into that stock. It's worthless now. Don't go crazy. You know, sort of as like a little gentle reminder whenever I buy or sell stocks, whenever I log in, that's the first line of item I see from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And nowadays it's, you know, many tech stocks because that's what I understand. Facebook, my first trade in like over a decade was Facebook after Facebook Analytica because I just, uh, sorry, Cambridge Analytica because I just, you know, 
could see how this was an overreaction. Facebook crashed by maybe 20 to 30% at the time. It just didn't feel like a fair thing to happen for such a minor you know, incident. And I just went all in with all our family savings, which again was like super risky. And luckily it worked out. But, you know, like within a few weeks, maybe within two, three weeks, this, you know, went back up like 20, 25%. So luckily my wife was very happy about it. It could have ended up way much worse. I love you, dude. You just go all in. You are an extreme man, my friend. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I I don't look very risk averse, but uh, I don't know I have these like mad moments um, where I'm just I remember that stuff, and and this was actually I had a one year old at this time. We were just for the first time in Valencia for a short trip um, two years ago, and so I had already a one year old, and I always heard that you have to sort of you know de-risk, and I guess being entrepreneurs and I mean, you know that yourself with your company, being entrepreneurs is already a very risky thing. But to be honest, having a job is as well a risky thing because you give your, you know, future income in someone else's hands. And, you know, something happens, say, they fire you, it's, it's out of your hands. But um, being an entrepreneur is quite risky and especially online. And, you know, we drive a lot of our traffic organic from Google. So if Google, if one company in the world doesn't like us anymore, it has major impacts. And this is the case, you know, for loads of people or Amazon FBA, you know, Amazon kicks you off their platform, you know, this is like a major risk. So I think we're supposed to not invest into risky things like the stock market. But at the same time, this is just our personality. So I remember being in Lithuania at the aquarium looking at a dolphin show, and I'm getting this notification about Netflix being like hammered, like minus 20%. And I saw like, hold on, this doesn't make sense. And I take out my phone and I'm buying like all in on Netflix. And within like eight hours, you know, it shifted. There was like a 15%, you know, up and I just got out of it again. But actually, you know, just my heart was pumping when I made that purchase on like a mobile phone nowadays. You don't have to go to the Wall Street. You don't have to sit at you know them fancy computer you you literally on your fingertips have like this device where you can lose your entire money or you can make a ton of money i know that that's amazing to me it is and it's powerful and it sounds like yeah you've been uh, nimble and quickly to get in and out at the right time so congratulations on that because most people aren't um but I'm, i'd like to kind of segue into yeah more about you your personality your your view on life because you know, you have these tenants that based on your blog that I kind of read pre-show you like to live by, you know, which is, you know, I'd rather be a part of Wall Street than occupy Wall Street. I'd rather create than consume. I'd rather decide for myself than have someone else decide for me, you know, and even with like your decision to, I think, stop drinking in like 2015, I believe you wrote. And it was just like, all of a sudden you just, the switch flipped in your brain. You were over it. It wasn't going to be a part of your life anymore. I mean, it's kind of comp- Parable to your decision to just go all in on something like investing all your money in Netflix or Facebook, you know, like, can you kind of help us understand what makes you tick? You know, how have you kind of come up with these sorts of rules to live by? I guess it's a mixture of my German upbringing, which, you know, is traditionally quite strict. And, you know, then having been exposed, you know, coming from a small German town and then moving at the age of 20 to to London, like the biggest city in Europe and, you know, one of the world capitals. And, you know, so, so that's already like a mind shift, which, you know, 99% of people wouldn't do. But also, you know, starting a company at the age of like 14, 15, or trying to start a company and, you know, then succeeding at 15, 16. Um, and, and I guess, you know, it's a lot of this black and white thinking, which my wife often doesn't like, because for me, it's like either black or white, and there's no gray in the middle. And, and I'm trying to see the gray, but just sometimes, you know, you either do it right or you don't do it. And I feel like if I invest in a stock, I, I either want, you know, if I know, like I don't invest in the stock 
if I don't believe in it, that it will go up, let's say. So why would I only get, you know, a 20% return on a thousand euros if I can put 10,000 or 20 or 30,000 in? Because I know, like, I know in my heart that it goes up in terms of obviously nobody can know what happens. But I mean, otherwise, just I rather don't go into stock at all. And it's similar with, you know, like a lot of these decisions, you know, I like if I'm really convinced about it, like since I want to be all in, I started working with a personal fitness coach two weeks ago now. and I want to be all in. And, you know, he in assessment week, I, I couldn't have assessment week, which basically means you just track what you normally eat. I already had to start to improve. And in the first week, every day. I, you know, try to, to have lower calorie intakes, have more sports than he recommends just because I want to be all in on it. I don't want to just, you know, like coast along. And I think a lot of that happened when I became a father for like the first time, because it's just like everything changed for me. I was fine with, let's say the German education. And I wrote on my blog about it, um, you know, I was fine about the school system. I went to a normal public school. Everything was fine. I went to a university in the UK. But as soon as my daughter was born, I thought there must be something better because you actually want your kid to stand out. You don't want your kid or yourself to be normal. You don't want to be the 99%. You want to be actually the guy. And it takes a lot of courage to do that and a lot of confidence. And I'm personally working on that myself. I told you before this call, you know, I was shaking uh, when I hired a personal fitness coach. I was shaking when I wrote you, hey, you know, want to jump on this podcast together because it's so much out of my comfort zone. But I feel you have to build up this confidence and this courage. And especially now as a dad, you know, I have to do that. I have to show that to my kids because this is how they will learn about it for me and my wife. And then, you know, like I, I want to go all in on things and show them, you know, the benefits of, let's say, not drinking alcohol, uh, you know, not being this dad who has a hangover in the morning, but, you know, this dad who, you know, wakes up early in the morning and does something with his kids. And, you know, it, it all sort of blends together in like one big pot. And then I realized 99% of people don't do that because the majority of people do drink alcohol, which is fine, you know, but it's not fine for me basically because i want to just be just bit better so i have like the you know i have an average body i'm not fat i'm not skinny i'm i'm not muscular i'm just like an average guy but now i want to start working on that because i want to be in like the one percent i don't have to be an arnie but you know like i want to be somewhere you know where i'm like above the average and that just comes with everything in life i i think um and it's important, I think, to push yourself to just, you know, go this one step further, uh, because otherwise you're sort of just declining. It's the same, you know, in software as a service. If you don't get new customers, but you're just losing customers, like, you know, you're slowly declining. And I've had that in businesses. I had that in my online gaming business that, you know, I didn't invest a lot of time into it. And we're slowly declining. We're still making money, but, you know, slowly, like it eats away. And this is everything in your life like if it's your body if it's uh your business if it's a relationship i mean everyone has been in that you know that you, you have this relationship with this girlfriend and then just you're slowly drifting apart from each other because you don't invest time and energy effort into that relationship i think yeah that's profound and thank you for sharing that i can relate immediately and currently in my life with a lot of what you just said and just in more of the giving upside and like not pushing myself hard enough. You know, I've, I've come to a point where it's like looking at my physical physique and looking at the state of my business and the state of my life. It's just like, I'm not, I stopped pushing myself like six months ago and I'm seeing the effects in a negative way. And it's through the conversations I get to have with, you know, people like you on misfits and rejects that like keep me motivated to keep trying and at least like, keep pushing and, and moving that needle closer to what I want. Cause like right now it's like coming off of, you know, surf progression techniques, not really getting to me where I, or getting me where I want to go 
within my online business adventure. And then just like everything, just with the world kind of unraveling, I just found myself kind of in like a dark place that it's easy to kind of lose hope, you know, but um, just with what you said, it's just so inspiring to hear how you approach life, how you think about it, how you're willing to day in and day out, at least push yourself that extra percentage to, to be elite, not necessarily be the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the world, but just to be that person that you can look in the mirror and, and say like, yeah, today I, I push myself in that way of that achieve trying to achieve that extra percentage is just so inspirational so just want to thank you personally for for motivating me and inspiring me in uh what you were sort of talking about and i wanted to ask another question which is do you consider yourself an intuitive person like do you use your intuition to make decisions it's very difficult i my, my initial answer would have been yes like straight away you know yes that's me because you know like like i said i get a notification and I just have a feeling, I, okay, let's go for it. Let's buy this. Let, let's do this. Let's move there. And the majority of my decisions, for example, when moving, were very quick. As in, I heard an 80-year-old retired professor at my German university say one sentence, which was, the Anglo-Saxon education system is completely different to the German one. It's way much more practical. I went home to my student halls after that lesson and I typed in study in London. I've never been in London before that point. I have no idea why I typed it in. And, you know, this is like one of these examples where just randomly things happen. You, you get like this bit of information from someone. You sort of have it. I mean, you, you, I know that I'm a practical guy. I'm not a theory guy. I wanted to study business in a practical way, not in some numbers and calculations and, you know, in books. And and I could have just Googled that myself, but sometimes you just need this extra inspiration, what you just mentioned, you know, that, that you get from your podcast um, guests and so on. And it, it's the same for me, you know, like, I was last year in, in Thailand for four months with my family during winter to escape the you know Lithuanian winter. And I met this guy from the Dynamite Circle who introduced me to the Dynamite Circle, to the uh, Bangkok crowds there. And I, I fell in love instantly. One night I fell in love. But how this all happened, we were three hours south of Bangkok in the small fishing village called Hua Hin, where you only find pensioners, people with babies and toddlers and Russians. That's basically it. And, so, and golf courses. And golf courses, yeah. And, and you know, just exactly uh, why you, you know, like why we were there because they were toddlers and that's it, you know. And I, I met this guy and like one evening on like a um, Wednesday evening, he wrote me, hey, I'm heading up to Bangkok tomorrow. And, you know, bear in mind, that's like a three-hour taxi ride. It's only like 50 bucks or so, but still, you know, it's a three-hour ride. And he's like, I'm going to go to Bangkok. I'm meeting these guys um, on Thursday evening for their monthly meetup. And I asked my wife, like, hey, can I join this dude? You know, I've only met him like a few times for coffee here in Hua Hin, but, you know, can I join him? And my wife was like, yeah, of course, sure. Why not, you know, do what you need to do. And we were sitting in a taxi ride three, four hours to Bangkok. We went to the event, stayed overnight, came back the next day. Uh, you know, it's like, see, it take me a lot because this happened. I joined uh, the Dynamite Circle. I, you know, uh, met a lot of people last year. I went to like three or four of their European events. And, you know, it just sort of builds up. And I think that's like the sort of like making a quick decision, like being intuitive about, okay, you know, this sounds like a crowd of people or a tribe where I want to be. And, you know, with loads of other things, we decided last year um, after our Thailand trip, hey, we want to change our home bases from, you know, Lithuania to another place. And within four weeks, we basically settled on on Valencia. So and that included hiring a relocation agent, me flying there, finding a house within uh, three days, which is really difficult in Spain. Uh, and, you know, like all of these things, I'm just like, again, like trying to be all in, you know, like taking the imagination, hey, you want to show me today six houses? Why can't you show me eight houses? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, 
I can relate so much to what you're saying. I'm so glad you reached out because I was on a call with uh, Chris Reynolds. Were you, did you get a chance to meet him at DCBKK? Yeah, no, I, I met him in uh, Lisbon, I think, last year. Okay, so I found yeah. him. He's online. a good guy. I, I I liked what you said. Yeah, He's yeah. A good guy. I met or I re- I found him online when I was in Nicaragua. Brought him on the podcast. He talked about hosting something in Thailand, and during that episode, right during the conversation, I was like, "I'll be there." Like I just same as you. Like I felt everything inside of me light up. And be like, that's what you need to do. You need to go and meet with this guy in Thailand, the group of people that he's with. So, I mean, like, I can relate in so much what you say. Like, everything inside of me, when that book comes across the table or, like, that person says one thing, like, every single cell lights up inside of me. And I love it. It's like, I know this is the right decision to make. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I completely agree with you. And this well has a lot to do with, I mean... We humans are like community people. So especially when it comes to these sort of things, you know, you, you just make a decision like, you know, to hop on a flight to Bangkok to, you know, meet a guy who previously you only heard on your podcast. Like, I mean, you, you, you didn't know the guy. You, you, you haven't had a beer with him uh, before, you know, being in Bangkok. But it's just like, you know, when the chemistry is right, it's just right. And like, I'm really happy, you know, to, you know, get into places. I haven't been able to do that in Valencia yet because we moved here, you know, like with one kid and then like second kid born. And um, obviously with the COVID-19 lockdown, which has been one of the toughest in the world here. So it's been quite difficult to connect to people actually locally. But um, I normally tend to do that. Like when we first moved to Vilnius, I went to all the startup events, just trying to build a local network of people as fast as possible because the one guy introduces you to the next guy. And I remember, um, I think last year, just before we left, I had a meeting with the mayor of Vilnius, just, you know, randomly a connection through a connection. They have a fintech meetup and I'm sitting as the only non-Lithuanian at a round table discussion with the mayor of the city, you know, about how can we increase fintech once, you know, Brexit happened and, and so on, you know, um, which is awesome. No, it's super cool. And, and yeah, the networking thing has just been huge for me as well. And putting myself out there like you are doing, just trying to, yeah, push push that comfort level a little bit further and, and meet the like-minded people that I've discovered in the dynamite circle. It's, it's so cool. I'd like to go back a little bit to um, your skill set of building online businesses and your knowledge of SaaS and SEO. And can you maybe describe the one thing? Cause you said something earlier, like, Oh, I was, I forget where you said you were, but then all of a sudden Google favored our, our, our SEO. And like we shot up to number one and like we crashed our servers and it seems like to me, SEO has got to be like the number one thing. Like you can have any type of product online, but if people can't find it, you're fucked. Like no one's going to care. So would you agree with me or am I off base on that, making that statement? Like SEO has got to be like the number one thing to focus on when, after you've built your thing to drive traffic to it. Sure. I guess on a personal level and where my skill set lies, and I didn't know about that until, you know, a few months ago. I just, you know, did it like intuitively without thinking about it. But I completely agree with you. It's all about SEO. But obviously you see loads of, let's say, drop shippers um, or, you know, like e-commerce stores said, don't do any SEO. They just, you know, they spend like a million a month on, you know, Facebook ads and, you know, the product is a million. And as long as their revenue is like, above, you know, product costs and, you know, Facebook ads costs, they're fine. And then you have all these companies making tens of millions and, you know, these young 18-year-old kids making like tens of millions, but actually the profits are like, you know, like $500 a month or whatever. Um, But, you know, aside from that, like for me, because I'm a bootstrapper, even so I would have the money to, you know, put into the next venture. And I had said at Invoiceberry, actually, I had the personal savings to, you know, accelerate it. But for some odd reason, I put this challenge in my mind that I want to prove that you can start a company on like 100 euros or so. So I was actually helping friends, you know, coding websites for money. So in exchange, they would, you know, 
uh, write some website copy in exchange. They would, you know, create web designs for InvoiceBerry and so on, just to really have this. And I didn't have a blog back then, so I didn't do the typical thing everyone would do nowadays, just blogging about the experience. But um, for me, I had this obsession of showing that you can literally bootstrap a company with like a hundred bucks, you know, in your bank account. You get 10 bucks for your, you know, domain name for the year. You, you get some cheap web hosting and so on. And, um, you know, with that in mind, it's the only thing you can do is SEO because SEO can be done for free if you put in your own time, you know, rather than outsource it. And Facebook ads, Google ads, and, you know, all of these paid ads, you can't do for free. So with a hundred bucks, you're not going to go very far. Um, it's not the fastest way to grow, obviously, a company, but in my opinion, I don't know, it's like the bootstrapper way of growing a company. And it's also very uh, just, of course, you have the risk of Google penalizing all your traffic, but at the same time, it's sort of like the most solid way to grow your traffic and your company because you could now stop working and I still make money in my company for years to come and I still get website visitors. Obviously, the rankings would slowly drop, but you know we're at a good level right now where I could say I can stop and I still you know sort of make money. If you today stop your Facebook ads and all you do is Facebook ads, you know, since that's it. And I know I always have these long-term plans in my head. So I'm thinking, look, I want to be able to not invest any money and still have like a few years of income coming in. Does that make sense? Oh, it's just clearly crystal clear. And like you use the great word of accelerate, like for those people who are interested in starting something online, if they want to accelerate um, the speed in which they get noticed and maybe achieve some success. Facebook ads are a great example of how you could do that. Or if you want to have a little bit more longevity and bootstrap it, as you said, for a lot less than focusing on SEO, something that you can do on your own for free is the other way to think about it. And yeah, I mean, you explain it perfectly. Um, do you have other businesses in mind, like for the future or is invoice Barry going to be kind of where you stick it out? Um, sorry, just to to add up, uh, add on to the previous point as well, um, because you made a really good point about the Facebook ads. And if you read any of the startup business books nowadays, they tell you, you know, to build MVPs, minimal viable products, and you know to test them, to test the landing page. And I've never done that in my life. It's very not business like, but I basically built the finished product again, sort of trying to have this intuition like. This is something people need or just saying, you know, maybe that's arrogant, but this is something that people need. I need it. People need it. That's it. And not, you know, doing any of these testing games. But there is obviously, you know, a reason for having some paid ads and, you know, putting like a little landing page together, driving traffic to it and so on. It as well depends on your skill set. I'm sort of a check of all trades. So I'm a developer, but a marketeer, a businessman, I I've done the accounting for some of my companies for several years until I realized, look, it takes too much time, but I sort of can do it. You know, I have the skills because I'm very like interested in, you know, learning new things. Um, and, you know, this also, you know, ties into like your follow-up question regarding new projects. That's also why I have always new projects in my head. And like, I know that, you know, they, they would work out. It's just time. As usual, you know, it's like having a wife, having kids, having, you know, one company with a few team members, um, you know, being interested in the stock market. If you take it serious, you also have to, you know, check what's happening there. Um, now being interested in my health. So while I planned a few years ago, I had this plan of launching 12 new SaaS companies in one year or one company, but 12 new projects in the company. And I built a framework for it to quickly launch so projects, but I stopped after one project because it's just not you know viable and it, it didn't make too much sense. It's still on my back burner, but it it comes up from time to time in my mind. But it's just something you know you need to have the time, the mental clarity. Uh, but I'm definitely I mean Invoiceberry, I I'm happy to run it another ten years. It's nice to see some of our old customers still emailing me rather than customer support. 
support because they were used to it. And we have customers from like nine or 10 years ago. I mean, which online company has like, you know, customers for 10 years nowadays? That's, that's just ridiculous. Like it's unheard of, you know, if, if you talk to any of the other SaaS companies. So um, I, I really like that part of it. So I, I think I'm going to keep InvoiceBerry for a few more years at least. But I also really want to, you know, um, look into new projects. Just it keeps your mind sharp. It creates sort of like a new interest area where you can bring your existing skills of, let's say, SaaS, SEO, of development, and you can marry it with some new interests, maybe in the marketing space or maybe, in, you know, in some other like uh, having like a Slack related um or Twitter-related SaaS company, you know, something that matches with another product I like. But so far, I don't have any, you know, concrete uh, projects coming up. No, that's cool. Um, you mentioned starting to take your health seriously and, and you know, working out with Emil, who is episode 186 at Misfits and Rejects. Um, do you have other hobbies, things that you like to fill your time with? Um, so, so that's a very interesting question because – I realized, and I wrote, I think, on my own blog about it in the past, that because, you know, I've done development from a young age, so I was interested in that. Then um, I've created online games. I always lost my own games against other players, which was, you know, interesting. I created it. I couldn't even cheat myself. <laughs> um, and, you know, then I got into business. I was very interested in it, SEO and, like, different other marketing aspects. And, you know, uh, so it sort of happens that you don't build these natural hobbies because I'm feeling if I'm sitting and I like sometimes going to a football stadium and watching a match, you know, when there's a good atmosphere, but I don't want to follow, let's say football, like it's a typical German thing to do because it takes so much time and this time I can actually create things rather than, you know, coming back to this, uh, thing you quoted earlier from my blog, I rather create than consume I last month I stopped using Facebook during the lockdown and just today was the first time in four weeks I locked in and I'm going to lock off again for another four weeks just because you know you just consume most of the time rather than create and I think the most successful people on Facebook they actually create you know they create content maybe they push their content like you do with your you know podcasts or you know you create a discussion with people but uh, just to consume seemed like a big waste of time. And it's very similar with, uh, you know, the, the um, like Facebook, with, with, with social media and, and with all of these things that, you know, it's, it's just too much consumption for me. And it's like um, it, it puts you away from this time. And like coming back to the hobbies, which sorry, which I wanted to talk about, it, it's again like. I like skiing. I love skiing. I've done it since I was probably five years old. Um, now I taught this year my daughter, who who's three years old. I I put her on the uh, ski slopes for the first few times. She loved it, or at least it seems like it. Um, I tried kite surfing last year. I'm terrified by the sea. My wife really pushed me to do it. It was a birthday present. I've done a few lessons. I loved it. And I really want to pick it up again here in Spain. We live right by the sea, so it should be really easy. And there's no excuse to not do it um, as soon as, you know, we're allowed again to go out. But I don't, and, you know, I like traveling, obviously, um, and you know, changing home bases, having different cultures. But none of this is like this traditional hobby as in, you know, I don't know, doing knitting or I know maybe it's the definition of hobby just changes for people like you and me. Um, no, yeah, I think our, our tastes lie in kind of outlier sort of um, things, you know, if you will. Like, yeah, trying things that maybe are a little bit out of the ordinary. Like I was uh, – I took – by the way, first I'd like to make a statement of what you said earlier and what I read on your blog, which is, you know, create rather than consume. I mean, I think that could be the secret to life, you know, not just life in general, but business as well. You know, if, if you take that standpoint, if I'm going to give more than receive, like take the standpoint of create rather than consume and create, you know, present intuitively, like I think 
the world is your oyster and you can achieve whatever you want. In fact, I'm going to put that quote above my niece and nephew's bed <laughs> so that they can see it, I think, for the rest of their lives because they're young right now and they're impressionable and all they want to do is watch TV and eat candy. Um, 100%, 100%, man, 100%. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's so important. But it's like um, the other day what I really enjoyed, going back to what we were saying about you know outlier hobbies, was like – I was in the this like field field back area, kind of woodsy back area behind my house, and I take care of my niece and nephew like four days a week. And um, somebody was out there with her kids teaching them how to forage, you know, for different edible plants in this area. And that's not very common at all for where I come from here in Southern California. And for me, that was such an interesting conversation I had with her. What I learned, and then my interests is my interests were immediately. Um, perked and I got excited to like go home, research it, possibly get a book. And, you know, once a week with my niece and nephew, rather than, you know, letting my niece sit in front of a computer while she learns from her teacher, who's not teaching her anything at this point, I think is very interesting. Like I'm going to be the teacher, take them out and actually teach them something that I could use, you know, like how to forage for the, the natural edible plants in our area. Like that just got me so excited and I could see myself getting really into that. Like hundred percent. Like we we actually had that uh, last year. We we went through a forest in Lithuania, and my and and their forging is actually quite big. Mainly, I mean, like mushroom picking, but also like different berries. And um, I have no clue about these things. Which mushroom is you know toxic? What berries can you pick and not? And my my wife, me, and and my back then like two year old walked through the forest and. And my wife just tells, okay, this we can pick and this and this. And they're like eating this. And I'm like, should like a two-year-old eat that? Maybe they're toxic. And she's like, no, she knows. You know, it's like grandmother's uh, wisdom. But uh, it's it's so interesting. And I'm, I'm actually as well into that stuff. I don't know enough about it. But, you know, sort of like nature walks, hiking, which is great here in Spain as well. Like just outside of Valencia, Valencia you have like the beach on the one side. But within half an hour, one hour, you have mountains and skiing, and which is also awesome, you know, like, um, which, which sort of is a hobby, but um, just nature in general. And just, you know, to add on uh, your nieces and nephews, I think a very big thing I realized when I became a dad is I became very radical. And I'm sort of like a hippie, which is completely different to how I was raised by my parents because I was raised on the TV as well. You know, like I was raised just having to do my own stuff, watching TV and so on, like most kids. And nowadays most kids have their iPads, whatever, iPhones, TVs, Peppa Pig and whatnot. We like haven't shown any screens for the first two year, uh, two years of my daughter's life. And we just, you know, now during this lockdown, sometimes show to a bit of tv i think she's watched less than 10 hours of tv in her life and she's now three and a half and just because you can see the difference um that you know if they don't watch tv which you know doesn't help them that much in life but they're going out they're building sand castles uh, you know building their legos and and, and dublos and whatnot this actually you know helps them you know they move their little fingers their brains are working like new connections are being made and i became like very radical with like a lot of things you know with the no alcohol and so on and 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 with kids it, it's the same actually that i'm saying like you know you have to be very like not strict but very uh careful what what you introduce if you introduce chocolate to them you know so you always want Chocolate. So we introduced like an extremely healthy lifestyle to my daughter where she asked, you know, for broccoli and for, you know, like cauliflower <laughs> and so on. And which is why I now have to step up my game because now she, you know, is at an age where, you know, at two years, it could be that daddy eats something unhealthy and she sits next to me and eats something healthy. But at three, three and a half years, that's not the case. She looks at my plate and says, hey, why do we eat different stuff? So, you know, now I have to step up my game and actually become healthy like my daughter, eating avocado, eating uh, broccoli, you know, eating my fish and so on. Um, and it's great. You know, it's a great way. You know, you, you mentioned earlier and we talked a bit about that uh, before this conversation about Emil and, you know, um, 
you know, him, you know, helping me now to sort out my diet, to sort out my sports and everything. And it's something completely new to me. It's so much out of my comfort zone. Like I said, I was shaking before our first call, but um, so far it's so much fun. And I can't really say I, I see the first, you know, physical, uh, like visual um, effects, but at least, you know, I can see some stuff on the scales. I can see some stuff in the Excel sheets we're having. And I feel way much better already. And that's like two weeks. And now imagine, you know, you do that for a long time. Um, or, you know, with your kids, when you raise them, you do that from the beginning. You introduce them, you know, to this healthy lifestyle. Because we, like you and me, we were both programmed on most likely on an unhealthy lifestyle. Because that's just, that used to be the thing back in the day. But, you know, Nowadays, there's so much information out there. My wife watches uh, some, you know, doctors on Instagram giving advice. Um, you know, there's so much information out there. If you find the correct information, you can, you know, have an awesome lifestyle for you, for your family, and actually even for free if you want. Or, you know, if you send, you know, you're busy and you want to. Uh, you know, cut corners, you obviously just hire like a coach, but as well, coaches, there's so many coaches you can, you know, find for any budget. So, you know, that's, that's another, I think, amazing thing nowadays in 2020, what we have that probably five years, 10 years ago, just people, you know, weren't aware of it or it just didn't exist in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're a great example of somebody who's using that, um, your skills, a lot of the free information out there, um, creating great businesses, designing your life in a very intriguing, cool way, uh, and getting to share it with your family around the world, man. I think there's a lot of listeners out there who are very inspired by this and anxious to um, give it a try. If you could inspire them, you know, get them to think about how, maybe how to take that first step if they're a little fearful of it, uh, if they maybe never taken an international flight, if they've never started their first online business, can you maybe give them some words of wisdom to think about um, and encourage them to start? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, the, the first thing is just, you know, follow your heart and follow your intuition and, you, you know, just um, it, it depends on your upbringing, but maybe just do exactly the opposite what you were told um, and just try to question everything. Um, just, you know, it's a thought exercise. That's, that's what I've been doing, you know, like raising my kids, just whatever I know and whatever people tell me, I'm thinking, does that make sense? Or, you know, I'm just trying it exactly the other way around because Coming back to this thing, I'm trying to be like the 1% and not like the 99%. So sort of think what would be the normal thing to do and then just decide the exact opposite because that sort of feels, in my opinion, like it leads you somewhere interesting. If that interesting is, you know, good or bad, it's a different story. But, you know, this is how you probably ended up in Nicaragua. It's not like it's the normal thing to do, you know, back then. Um, it's still not often the normal thing to, you know, marry someone from a different country or culture. But um, especially for Germans, you know, you, you just marry someone in the same city on the other side of the river, maybe in a different state, but you, you don't just, you know, marry someone in a different country. Um, you don't move with, you know, your family to different countries. And, you know, so this is all not normal. So my piece of advice would be just whatever it is where you're stuck in life, whatever, you know, you, you want to work on, just think what, you know, what would be exactly the opposite someone would tell you to do. And, you know, just maybe do that and, and see where it leads you. And worst case, I mean, worst case, if you don't die, everything is fine. Beautifully said, Uva. We appreciate your time. Folks, check him out at Invoice Barry if you need that type of service. And uh, let's get you back on the show, man, in the future, and we get to hear where you're at. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed this talk. Awesome, Uva. Thank you so much for coming on. Again, what an inspiration. I'm just going to repeat it again. Create rather than consume. Very poetic. I was serious when I'm going to put that over my niece and nephew's bed so they can always wake up looking at that as they continue on their path in lives, whether they choose to be entrepreneurs or not. I hope they just continue to develop into good, beautiful, contributing human beings. 
that's my job. That's my sister's job. That's their dad's job to really help grow them into those types of beings. But at times, as an adult, I need that kind of reminder as well. So remember, if you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. If you're listening and you really enjoy this, Uvin, I would love it if you would share this with somebody you think might benefit from this episode. And real quick, if you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that via Patreon. Any monthly donation is appreciated. Nothing is expected. Purchasing a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, also another great way. Head over to MisfitsandRejects.com backslash shop. And please stay tuned and get ready for next week's episode. It's a milestone. 200 folks. Super excited and proud to say that my dad sat down with me and interviewed me for that episode. You'll hear more about what I talked about in the intro of moving a lot of Misfits and Rejects content onto YouTube and the vision I have for Misfits and Rejects as I move forward into the future. So thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful. Get ready. 9 a.m. Monday morning next week for another episode of Misfits and Rejects. And I'll see you then. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.